Welcome to episode number two of Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Hacks and Jacks PL. I am Joe Galina, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Scott Chu. Hey, Joe, how's it going, man? You doing good? I'm doing great. Just for reference for our listeners, we're recording this on February 28th, 2021. So like I was talking to you before the show, first day of actual live exhibition baseball games. I got the Yankee game on in the background. Uh, FSGA and Labor have had some of their drafts. TGFBI drafts are going to be underway this week. Everything is just falling into place. It's it's going to be March. You know, it's it's that it's that time of year. And, you know, I know that for a lot of my leagues, we don't draft until later on in March, like third sure. week in March, something like that, uh, especially for redraft. But my dynasty stuff has been moving. You know, my keeper mm-hmm. stuff like deadlines are up. I had an out of Neo draft yesterday. Awesome. Uh, I was just on just on Potapalooza with Justin Mason supporting great cause. It, it won't you know, it'll be over by the time you all listen to this, but hope you had a chance to check that out. It's, it's a really cool thing where we were talking some baseball cards and that was always a lot of fun. But yeah, it's 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 that time. You know, it's finally there's baseball games on, you know, mm-hmm. the next time we pod episode three, there might actually be news, right? Like of, of yeah. something that happened on a baseball diamond. Right. Like not the front offices, like an actual baseball diamond creating actual baseball news. So so it's exciting. Right. Like this is this is when you really feel that energy. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to be a little ambitious today. We're going to try to get through uh, some second base and shortstop rankings fueled by your great articles that our listeners could find on PitcherList.com. Uh, lots of uh, rolling charts, which great information. Love those rolling charts. So just want to let our listeners know as well that when I speak about ADPs, I'll be referencing Fantasy Pros Consensus ADPs. Uh, Fantasy Pros combines draft averages from Fantrax, ESPN, Yahoo, RTS, NFBC, which is the high stakes leagues. And so I just want to let you know just as a reference point as well. So second base, widely regarded there, Scott, as a shallow position. You know, in some senses it is, right? In, in terms of the top. You know, when we talk about shortstop, we're going to talk about shortstop as a very deep position at the top, right? Now, once you get to like 15, 20, it's a wash, right? Like all, all the positions start to dry up at around the same time. The difference at second base is less that it's overall shallow. It's that a lot of the players are tightly packed. It just starts later. There are no, like there are, are probably not there's probably not going to be a single second baseman drafted in the first round of a 12 team league right mm-hmm. maybe not even the second round right uh, it might be a while before you see that first second baseman come off the board but they you know they'll sort of after that steadily be drafted throughout the next several rounds it just won't be like shortstop where you know half half your league has got a shortstop you know halfway through the second round so that's why it feels so much more shallow right and great point because when i look at these rankings at second base, after the initial 15 guys, I mean, there's still some talent left where I would use them at the middle infield position. But when it comes to shortstop, there's a lot of talent early. But then in the later rounds, in your later rankings, some of those guys I might not consider using as my middle infield. But great point that you bring up. Just, by the way, in terms of feedback regarding your rankings, any specific players that cut right off the top of your uh, head that you might have gotten some feedback on in terms of, hey, you know, why'd you put this guy in a certain position or not? You know, I think the one guy we actually talked about him a little bit yesterday, and that was CJ Crone, because a lot of people want to be excited about CJ Crone being in Colorado, and I'm just not yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's more of a maybe, and it, you can if you can check out the first base article, he's ranked 30th for me at first base, which is probably a lot later than a lot of you would like him to be, but. You know, you can you can pull it up and just sort of see why I'm doing that. And a lot of it is just I have an absolute distrust of the Colorado Rockies and doing the right thing. That's the best for their team. I just don't think that they will. And the best thing for their team is starting CJ Crone just about every day at first base, yeah. which means I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's really, They've been a tough team to read in terms of the way that they utilize their players. That's a very kind way to put that, Joe. That's you're tough to read. I like that. I like that. All right. Well, let's dive right in because we got a lot of plays to talk about. Now, at the second base position, we have the elites. DJ LeMayhew, Ozzie Albies, and Whit Merrifield make up that elite uh, crew. And uh, we spoke a lot about 
DJ LeMayhew in our first base episode, and he's uh, eligible at first, second, and third. Of course, for the New York Yankees, get him late second round, early third round. We're talking you know, 12 teamers here. So if you want to just get an in-depth analysis of what he's about, you could check that episode out. But obviously, moderate power has a, a adjusted his approach uh, to Yankee Stadium, hitting the ball to the opposite field more, and uh, it's worked for him. But uh, Ozzy Albies and, and Whit Merrifield. Talk about Whit Merrifield because I find a lot of people are just worried about at his age and him slowing down a little bit because a big part of his game uh, are, involves stolen bases. I mean, in 2018, stole 45 bases. 2019, stole 20 so uh, are you worried about him? He's going to be 32 years old, just slowing down a little bit. One of my favorite things about Whit Merrifield is the absolute consistency that this guy's got. And, you know, obviously it's hard for me to describe a rolling chart to you over the, you know, over the airwaves. But I really recommend you take a look. It's in the article for second base. It, the one I put up there is his, expecting, his expected batting average. This guy over a 100 plate appearance sample almost never hits below 260. Like that's his basement. He almost never drops below that. It is so hard to find that kind of consistency. And when you're in like a head-to-head weekly league, when a guy's balance is out at the end of the year, you know, we talk about players who are volatile. It's like, oh, don't worry. At the end of the year, it'll balance out. Like his teammate Mondesi is a classic example of this guy who like, he's going to have a bunch of weeks where he's not very good. And then like four weeks where he's absolutely unbelievable. And in Roto, that balances out. And head-to-head leagues, balancing out's not a thing. Every week's a new matchup. Right? You don't get to carry over those extra stolen bases or that extra batting average from week to week. So a guy like Whit Merrifield, who's always doing it every week, always playing, always hitting. I mean, the guy almost never has back-to-back games without a hit. Right? Like, in fact, in 2019, he didn't. Actually, maybe it was, like less, it was less than three times that he had back-to-back games where he didn't get on base. That, I mean, that kind of consistency is, is hard to put a dollar value on. But I am very willing to make it a top three rank. And in fact, in certain league formats, deeper ones with five outfield, you can make the case that Merrifield's the best second baseman to get. Now, I'm not sure I'd ever take him over a guy like DJ, but I could see where he might be the best value of these three in a, you know, in a deeper league draft. You know, and I won't say much about Ozzy Albies. I think there are folks that are in on him, folks that aren't, and I'm not going to begrudge anyone either way, but he's absolutely part of this this three-man group. And Nick Pollock and I, who, who sort of helped me with these rankings, talked a lot about this three-man group and how to rank them, how to talk them up. And I spent a lot of time in the article talking about these three because I really wanted to make it clear why I ranked them the way I did and what that whole thought process was because each and every person is going to have a chance to take one of these three guys because they don't go in the top half of the first round. Everybody gets a look. In fact, everybody probably gets two looks before they have to take him. And you should really think about how you want to handle those top three. The rest of the position is good and it's deep and there's plenty to talk about. But these three, you should think about because again, there is a bit of a jump here before the next tier. And so I would definitely be thinking about how you want to rank these three. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned that you do have time to make a decision. Ozzy Albie's ADP is 33, which in a, a 12-team league puts him somewhere around the third round. So uh, he did have uh, – he got off to a bit of a slow start but had a wrist injury. And you even referenced it in your article. Uh, after coming back off the IL, finished off the season with 338 batting average, five home runs, and three steals uh, late in the season. So uh, then you have the near elites, and you have uh, Brandon Lowe, Keston Hiura, uh, who we spoke about uh, during our first base episode, and Kevin Biggio. Brandon, I, I called him Brandon Lowe. He's actually Brandon Lau, right? Rhymes with now. <laughs> so, I was hoping uh, you wouldn't ask me. I always get it wrong. I, I always too. get me it wrong. Too. Me too. Uh, and I obviously did it. Uh, I did this time. But So ADP for Brandon Lau uh, is 68. You get him in the sixth round last season at this time uh, last march march 2020 his adp was 199 you can get him in the 17th round so he's really moved up and uh you think he has the best chance at least if i read you correctly in, in this elite tier to move up into the next tier next for uh, next season yeah so here's the thing about lao when when you're trying to rank three guys that are all kind of tight and, and again this is a a tightly packed tier in a lot of ways and 
I, I really like Biggio. I think there's a lot to like about Hira. The reason I say that Lau is probably the most likely to break into this tier for next season is because, at least for a time, he was an elite fantasy player, right? I mean, pretty much for about a whole month. And if you go into the if you go into the article, you can see a little chart of just how he ranked from July 24th to August 21st, right? And I know a lot of folks are going to know that when they look at Brandon Lau's stats, they're going to say, oh, well, it was fueled by his first half. But like a month where you are a top five hitter in baseball is a big deal. There are very few players in the game who can be that level of elite for a whole month. I mean, anyone can do it for a week, right? Um, but a some kind of talent is required to do this for a month. And Brandon Lau showed that. And it's not like he was absolute garbage at the end of the season, right? He wasn't like, this isn't like, a, you know, Ersetti's Aquino who was really, really hot and then really, really not and can barely make a team, right? This is a guy who was, who was like average in the second half and looked bad because he was so, so good for that whole month. Hira has a crazy strikeout rate. Although at the end of the day, like he's the one of these guys that I think is probably the most likely to hit 30 home runs. I think Lau can do it too. But if I had to bet on one guy to hit 30 home runs, it's probably Keston Hira, right? And if I had to bet on one guy who's gonna who could steal 15 to 20 bases without a problem, it's probably Kevin Biggio, right? Yes. But he's also the one that could hit 220. And again, this is a it's a set of three guys where there's a lot to talk about, but only because not because like they're so different. It's mostly because to to distinguish between these three players. I have to give you a lot of words. I have to really tell you why I'm ranking them the way that I did. And I did go Lau. Hira Biggio. And I tried my best to explain why I did that and why you might not in your own personal rankings. Mm -hmm. But again, this is a, if you're not going to do on the top three and you want one of these three, I would really think about how you rank them, how you value them and, and how you're going to approach it in the draft. Cause again, tightly packed and we're getting close to the drop off. Yep. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of mocks and I seem to end up with a lot of Brandon Lau. And uh, I agree with you that by next season, he may move into that elite tier. And one of the things that I noticed that is most encouraging to me is as a lefty hitter is his evolution as a batter where he's gotten better batting against left-handed pitching when you he's been in the league for three seasons, right? Uh, hasn't played three full seasons yet, but uh, against left-handed pitching, uh, in his first season in the uh, big leagues, batted 188, followed that up with a batting average of 242, and last season batted 300 against lefties. So uh, I like the fact that he is progressing. And you know, what you mentioned about Kevin Biggio, I, I agree. Uh, second base, third base, and outfield eligible, that's another thing to take into consideration. Uh, makes more sense uh, for uh, you to roster him in OBP leagues, 368 OBP over his two years in the big leagues, but you're right uh, in terms of uh, his stolen base potential. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think he, in his career, hasn't been caught <laughs> stealing bases. 20 uh, attempts and 20 successful attempts of stealing bases. And that's, <laughs> it's not because he's like crazy fast, right? He, he right. just runs at the right time. And there's, yeah, there's, there's a bit of a skill to that running at the right time. I mean, uh, Miguel Cabrera has stolen bases and it's not because he outran the throw. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, some of them are just uncontested, but it, you have to have a smart thing. And, you know, again, we've seen about a full season from him and 24 home runs, 20 stolen bases. Like uh, of these of these guys, you know, he's the best 2020 threat of them. But yeah, in, in an OBP league, he's the top of this tier for me. And, yeah. I'm, you know, it's close, but he's definitely number one. And I, I say this in the article as well, but uh, he's. Yeah, he is so difficult for a lot of folks in in average leagues because his average is not going to be good. It's it's not his skill set to hit for a high average. Right. And the only other thing that knocked him down at all for me was actually the signing of Marcus Semien. Not because it hurts Biggio's playing time. It hurts his spot in the order. Biggio was going to be the number two hitter. He's probably more like the six or the seven hitter. And that could mean less stolen bases. It could be more RBI, but I really am interested to see how that plays out in terms of his opportunities. Great point. Let's move over to the next tier and what you call the group of solid players. And there are a couple here that uh, I want to focus on. Jose Altuve, Kettle Marte, Max Muncy, Jeff McNeil, and Mike Moustakis. Altuve, you could get him in the eighth round of a typical 12-team league, ADP of 93. And he really fell off the face of the earth last year, batted 
219 with a 286 OBP and a 344 slugging percentage. This is a guy that a few years back, he was a top five overall pick. Spent some time on the IL. Uh, was dealing with an injury to his surgically repaired knee, which to me means that stolen bases might be a big question mark this season. It's a third straight uh, season where he's had some type of leg injury that he's been dealing with. But uh, your thoughts on Altuve and how much of a rebound can we expect from him? So there's two things to talk about with him is how often will he be on the field? Right At the end of the day, the biggest impact to his rank, besides the fact that he doesn't steal bases much anymore, but he hasn't for a while, right? Because he bats like third now. So he's not really going to steal a ton of bases anymore. That's just a reality. You're really drafting just the hit tool now. But, you know, obviously it's an elite hit tool, but he's got to stay healthy, right? It's three straight, three straight seasons where he's missed some time. Those injuries not only hurt his chances to steal bases because they like hurt his legs, but one way to keep a guy healthy is to not have him steal bases. Those are high stress plays, right? A lot of players get injured on those. They hurt their hands. They hurt. Yeah, I mean, they're running hard and throwing their body at a bag on the ground, right? Like it's an easy way to get hurt. So I don't think he's going to steal many bases anymore and no one's projecting him to do a ton, right? Like he'll steal a handful. He'll get a couple, but that's not the big thing. I mean, the biggest thing is how Houston just was not very good during the regular season offensively, right? They just, they really struggled. Kyle Tucker was good and they had flashes, but otherwise they really struggled. But then in the playoffs, they didn't, right? We saw that offense come back alive during the playoffs, hit a lot of home. I mean, Altuve had five home runs in 13 games. In the playoffs. Anybody right? like garbage cans when they were playing in the I, You know, I didn't hear him. I didn't hear him, right? And I think, you know, it, as much as we're joking there, I think it is important for player, you know, for, for every fantasy manager personally to think about how they feel about that whole controversy. Because it's one thing to talk about 60-game season, like, oh, Bregman struggled and Altuve struggled and it's because of that. But, like, remember, in the playoffs, they didn't have the trash cans there either. They didn't have the cameras that they could see this stuff in the playoffs either. And they exploded in the playoffs. So, you know, what you know, what reality are you expecting for 2021? And the reason Altuve is ranked here is because I think that there is still a very good hitter uh, in Jose Altuve. I think that he can definitely hit, uh, you know, I think he can hit 25 upper 20s home runs if he plays a whole season. Again, that, that if is pulling some weight, right? Like saying if he plays a full season, that's not easy. But again... 2019, he plays 124 games, hits 31 home runs, right? Like, this, he still has that skill. He still has that talent. And yes, I know, trash cans, whatever. But, you know, five home runs in 13 games without him, right? Like, he, he still has an elite hit tool. He had it before the trash cans. He's going to have it after the trash cans. He's a player that I think some people are just not going to have on their board. And that could create some real surplus value for a lot of folks. Yeah, uh, I hate to tell you, I, I'm not really interested in him. But you're right, uh, at any point in time in any draft if a player lingers long enough he's valuable so uh but we'll see but let's move on to kettle Marte, who had a big drop off in power hit 32 home runs during the 2019 season do you think that the power do you think that that was just an outlier it seems like it was barrel rate dropped from 9.1 in 2019 to 3.7 so you know overall i i'm really struggling with like how to deal with 2020 just like everyone else right like is it because it was a mirage or is it because he had a completely screwed up schedule uh in terms of like gearing up for the season and then didn't have video right like none of the players were allowed to have video to watch their own swings during a game right you know we've heard javi Baez talk about this jd martinez talk about this and there's a lot of players that use that tool Right. Like not to cheat, but to actually just get better at baseball. So I I am really struggling with Marte specifically because when he broke out in 2019, I actually spent a solid month saying it was a mirage. Right. And I spent a lot of time talking about something that is true, which is it's almost impossible to distinguish a hot player from a like permanently improved player until it's all done. Right. Like you can distinguish a lucky player and a good player. Right. You can look at expected stats, see big splits, but you can't always distinguish a hot player from a good player. And, and any player can get hot for a period of time. Uh, we've seen players be good for a season and then not again. I don't think that's what Cattell Marte is. I think that I, I watched enough of him to think there really is something here. The batting average, I think, should be much better. 32 bombs, maybe not there, but upper 20s. Absolutely. Another guy in this tier, Jeff McNeil. Second base and outfield eligible, ADP of 91. Get him in the eighth round of a typical 
team draft. Uh, streaky, especially when it came to power production last season. All four of his home runs came on consecutive games in September last season. Uh, now, you look at this player uh, in McNeil, and you're confident, at least I am, that he's going to hit a high average. you got to like the multi-position eligibility. But in the past, we've kind of looked at him because he had 23 home runs across a full season in 2019. Is that a bit too ambitious? Are we looking at maybe a 15-home run kind of guy? I, I probably kind of was like a 20-home run, 10-stolen base guy. High average. The, none of the counting stats are never going to jump out to you about, about Jeff McNeil. And I talk about this in the article a little bit, but essentially there's two reasons Jeff McNeil slides up your board. The first is that you're in a points league and he makes a lot of contact and contact is king in a points league, right? Uh, you're not looking for the three true outcomes, guys. You're looking for the guys that constantly put the bat on the ball because that's how you get points, right? A, a points league feels a lot like a total bases league. And Jeff McNeil can put up a lot of total bases even when he's not hitting a lot of home runs. So... You know, that's something that that's one reason to put him up. The other reason to put him up is because he's super safe, right? Like, I do think this is a very high floor player. The average is always going to be there. He's going to play like even though they've added an unreasonable number of like sort of infielders and outfielders to their roster and just have like probably two or three more hitters than they know what to do with. uh, I still think McNeil is about as safe as it gets in terms of like an everyday player Mm -hmm. for the Mets. He's going to play. It's going to be high floor. And so, like, if you've taken a lot of risks early in your draft, I think McNeil slides up your board a little bit. And maybe, I'm not saying you necessarily reach for him, but you put a star on his name. Whereas, on the other hand, if you have a lot of safety in your first several rounds, McNeil almost falls off your board, right? You don't need him anymore. You don't need floor. You've, you've got floor, right? At this point, you'd be reaching more for, for ceiling-type players. You know, you're probably jumping a little earlier on, like, a, a Cattell Marte, who's got the higher ceiling, Right. Um, Because Marte could very well be McNeil just with more home runs. Very possible. Right. But there's risk. Tell me what you think about this comparison, because as I was putting together some notes, I thought of Nick Madrigal, ADP 212. Right. You look at Jeff McNeil and uh, Madrigal and both of them are going to hit for high average. You trade off some of McNeil's power for. Madrigal's stolen bases. You look at steamer projections for Madrigal, 304, eight home runs and 19 stolen bases, and he has a 212 ADP versus McNeil's ADP of 91. Now, also McNeil has second base and outfield eligibility. Is it fair to compare the two? I think this really is going to depend on your league, right? So in a the deeper the league, the more willing I am to talk about this comparison. Mm-hmm. I mean, on one hand, if I'm choosing between the two, it's McNeil every time. But you're not choosing between the two, right? That's not what you're doing. You're choosing someone else when you take McNeil, and then you're waiting for Madrigal. In a 12-team league, like the ones we're talking about here that don't have a middle infield, you know, it's the two utility, three outfield, it's going to be really hard for Madrigal to make a big push for you because he's just not going to have the counting stats. He's going to be batting at, batting at the bottom of that lineup. He's going to be, uh, you know, doesn't hit for very, very much power. He's not going to score a ton of runs. It's the upside is really capped, right? By the lack of counting stats, right? Because if he ends the season with like five home runs and 15 steals and a 300 batting average, that doesn't move the needle in a lot of 12 team leagues. It just doesn't do enough, right? Even if he makes that projection, he's still probably the worst starting second baseman in a 12 team league, right? That's, and that's really the problem. But when you start talking about a 15 team league, or like a a 12-teamer with deeper rosters, like the ESPN-style rosters with the corner in the middle and the five outfield, it starts getting a little more interesting, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, McNeil's a back-end, middle-to-back-end second baseman, and sure, uh, Madrigal's a back-end second baseman, but you you have to have, you know, a second baseman and a middle infielder. You're going to need more safety in those deeper leagues because you have to take more risks to fill that roster. It gets a lot more interesting because he's a lot more viable in the deeper leagues. So... I do think there's a way to make that comparison, but not in a 10 or a 12 teamer, just because Madrigal is going to be like a last round pick in those formats. Like in those cases, you just take both, right? Like you're not, yeah, you're not you spending anything to get Madrigal in one of those formats. So in a 10 or a 12, like the shallow Yahoo style, the, the comparison is hard to make. The deeper leagues, I definitely think you're onto something there. And there's a strategy there about waiting for like a Madrigal type, especially like in Roto where the steals matter more. There's, there's a strategy there, just not in the 12s. Mm-hmm. And the other two guys in this tier, Max Muncy 
and Mike Moustakis. We spoke about them when we did our first base preview. But uh, just quickly, uh, Muncie, first base, second base, third base eligible. Give you up to maybe 30 home runs. Probably hit around 240. And you know what? The same can be said for Moustakis, uh, who's uh, dealing with a quad injury, foot injury, false positive COVID test. which was just a crazy year for the Reds in general. If you want like a more detailed analysis, you can check out our episode one, and we uh, went over the first base position. So let's move uh, on to back end starters, and now we're talking about the deeper leagues, right, Scott? Dylan Moore, second base and outfield eligible, uh, 144 ADP, which means you get him in the twelfth round. Going to be battling Shed Long for at bats and uh, possibility of being the everyday second baseman for the Mariners. Then you got Ty France could steal some at-bats as well, although uh, I was reading where he's going to get some at-bats as DH France will. But uh, your thoughts on on Dylan Moore? So Dylan, because I do think he's going to play every day, even if it's not necessarily at second base, they can move him around. They can put him in short. They can put him in outfield. They've moved him around before. This is all about 10 or 12 team league. And this is all about upside. And how many second basemen have 25 home run, 25 steal upside? It's not many, right? It's very right. few. And, and Dylan Moore is probably the last one. You know, there's there's more guys that we're going to talk about in terms of ranking. They don't have this ceiling. None, none of them do. Not for the power and the speed, right? So that's why Dylan Moore is here. Could he also flame out? Sure. But we're getting to the point now where let's say you draft Dylan Moore to be your starting second baseman in a 12-team league. What happens if he doesn't pan out? You just cut him. Replace him. Right, you cut him with any, you know, these guys below him. Like the Nick Madrigal may very well be out there still. You can get a replacement level guy. The thing you won't find on the waiver wire for replacement level is 25 home run, 25 stolen base upside. That's not out there. It, it just simply won't be available. That's why Moore is here. He's in a tier of his own because he's probably the last guy I want to consider a a starter because of his upside. It's not that these next guys we're going to talk about don't have upside, right? But He's the last one that's got this like really, really high upside guy who really could be a starter, especially if he pans out. And then when you start getting below this, you start talking about guys who you're going to cut if they get hurt in, in shallow leagues. Right. And this next tier, which you call the deep league options, uh, has guys that do have some upside. And I'll ask you, Gavin Lux, Tommy Edmond. We already spoke about Madrigal. Uh, Andres Jimenez plays for the team from Cleveland and Nick Solak of that little group. Who do you think has the most upside to develop into uh, an everyday second baseman for a team? I mean, I think it's obviously Gavin Lux. I, I'm If you're looking at the other folks' rankings, like on Fantasy Pros, I am higher on Gavin Lux than just about anybody. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's not because I think he's going to win a job. Right, A lot of this is sort of like what I talked about with Dylan Moore. In a 12-team league, you do not need to draft Gavin Lux as the 13th second baseman off the board. Right, You simply don't. And this... These rankings aren't designed to be like an ADP projection, right? I'm not saying these are necessarily the orders you should draft them. I say these are the orders that I think they really should be considered in a 12-teamer. And, you know, with Lux, he's got all-star potential. And as much as I, you know, say that Dylan Moore could be a 25-25 guy, like Gavin Lux is just a different class of prospect than Dylan Moore. Gavin Lux is a guy who could really be like 15 home runs, 15 stolen bases, and a high batting average you know, perennial all-star kind of player. And while it's really hard to see the playing time for now, like in a 12-team league, either he's on my bench or he's my watch list because the moment it looks like he's going to play five times a week, I want him on a roster. From this tier, that, I mean, that's a great analysis on Lux, and I agree with you. But uh, one guy that interests me in this tier is Nick Solak uh, for the Rangers. I keep on wanting to call him Nick Pollock, but <laughs> I stopped myself. But second base outfield, eligible and he's been told that he's going to be the starting second baseman to start the season has a tremendous hit tool not a great defender but he has said that he feels most comfortable when playing at second base i think that's got to play a little bit into it i find that if a player doesn't have to worry about you know please don't hit the ball to me you know they could be a little bit more comfortable at the plate full season with looking at a floor of 15 homers, 15 stolen bases, and an at least uh, 270 batting average. Your thoughts on uh, Nick Salek? So I'm probably like a little lower than that on the steals in terms of like a floor. I definitely see like a 20 home run, like 10 stolen base guy. Okay, okay. Uh, or, or, you know, some combination of things that gets him to like 30 total home runs and stolen bases, right? And 
He's he's definitely going to play every day. And in a league like TGFBI, the 15-teamer, I am yeah. targeting Nick Salk. And, and he probably, in those deeper leagues, moves up these rankings a bit because mm-hmm. I just think there's such a strong floor there. But, you know, again, as far as ceiling goes, it's a bit capped simply by his skill set. Like, it, it's not a, he doesn't have a playing time problem like some of the other guys in this tier like a Gavin Lux. He's got sort of this ceiling problem because we talked about that before. I'm not sure the ceiling's a whole lot higher. You know, like what's the ceiling? 25, 10, right? Like, you know, 25 home runs, 15 stolen bases. Is that the ceiling? Like, that's as good as it'll ever get, I think, for, for, for Solic, based on what we've seen so far, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, it's great to see him get more playing time. There was a great presentation during PitchCon about how he sort of got, uh, he sort of got screwed on a lot of calls, right? There was uh, a really cool presentation about that. So, you know, folks can go and check that out. Uh, but, you know, with, with Solic, it's, it's hard for him to be relevant in a 12-team league for a full season, right? Mm-hmm. But I can guarantee that a lot of folks are going to pick up Nick Solik in a 12-team league because he'll be hot for a bit. Maybe he has like a nice stretch of starts. Um, and he's going to be an injury fill-in for a lot of people in the outfield or at second base, right? Like that's going to happen a lot. Now, how much draft capital you have to spend in a 12-teamer, it's not much. And you know he's not someone I want as my starting second baseman every single day, at least not at this point at 12 but once you start talking about deeper leagues, 15-team leagues, he's absolutely a viable starter there. All right. And uh, the next tier is your even deeper league options. And we're talking, you know, 15-teamers. Uh, we've got uh, Tommy LaStella, uh, Chris Taylor, Jake Cronenworth, Kim Haas-Young, Jonathan Villar, David Fletcher, Luis Arias, Garrett Hampson. Maybe you could talk about one or two that you, that you love or maybe uh, – but Jonathan Villar, uh, do you think he's going to get enough at-bats for the Mets to be fantasy viable this season? Has that great stolen base tool. Going to hurt you with batting average, but the, is he even worth rostering based on projected playing time? How many times have we had our hearts broken by Jonathan Villar? Too many, too many. I mean, it's too many. And, you know, full disclosure, he, is, he was signed right before these rankings got published. Right. And he was originally ranked 14th right ahead of Dylan Moore or not 14th. Sorry. He was ranked 12th. Dylan Moore was 13th. That's that's actually how this worked originally. And of course, he signs in probably the worst possible place for him to go, which is a team with, as we mentioned, has too many players, just too many hitters that are worthy of starting jobs. So I I don't his playing time is really hard to project because on one hand, he really looks like he's going to be a reserve guy. He's not going to play enough. On the other hand, peak Jonathan VR forces his way into a lineup every day. Right. right? That, that 20 home run, 40 stolen base guy who we've seen twice now, he plays every day. There is no manager in baseball that doesn't play that guy every day. Right. So there is upside there. It's just not draftable in a 12-team league. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, really this whole tier, it's interesting because it's a lot of guys that are really easy to fall in love with. Right. For various reasons. Right. So I'm a big fan of Luis Arias. I don't think he's a great play in 12 teamers, but in deeper leagues, he is. I think he's got elite hit tool for batting average. The power wasn't there last year and he's never going to be like a big time home run hitter. But it's worth noting that he played most of the season hurt, you know, a couple a uh, couple bum legs. So as he got healthier, there's a great rolling chart about his expected slugging and it skyrockets. Right. As he gets healthier and, and as he feels better. Right. Because your your power starts from the legs. It starts from the ground. It's ground up. And with bad legs, it's hard to really like hit those deep line drives. So he was just slapping a lot of singles because he couldn't get the same drive on the ball. He gets healthier. He's able to do that. An elite batting average upside. I think it's easy to fall in love with David Fletcher for a lot of the same reasons. I think he'll be a little better in the counting stats. And if you're a big fan of the Angels, right, like either you're just an Angels fan or you think that offense is going to break out in a big way like I do. Uh, he could be a real big time run producer as well as hitting 300 and, you know, he'll fall just sort of double digit home runs or steals, but there's a lot of value there. Again, a great injury replacement and like a 12 teamer, but you're not going to really be planning on him as a full-time player. Unless maybe you're in a points league because of how often he'll be on base. Right. Um, and then, you know, the last thing I'll say is the the two guys that are probably still intriguing in a 12, because I just don't think Listella or Taylor are ever interesting in a 12. They're floor guys, not ceiling guys. Cronenworth and Kim, right? So, you know, you read it the way I wrote it, which is Kim Haseong. That's actually how you'd say it in Korea, right? So in Korea, it's actually like last name and then first name. And then it's not really a middle name. It's like an extension of their personal names, right? Mm-hmm. So like, uh, you know, my grandfather 
It was known as Myung-il Chu in the United States. In Korea, he was Chu Myung-il, right? So like Sin Su Chu just went over back to Korea. Right. They know him as Chu, Shi, Chu Shin Su, right? Oh, okay. But perhaps he was Sin Su Chu, right? Because that's, that's just the Korean way. So uh, but most of you know him as Ha Seong Kim. Kim and Cronenworth, right? Like projecting playing time, totally different story. And we talked about Cronenworth a bit last week, but if one of these guys does win the job full time, they jump way up in the ranks. Sure. Right? I cannot rank them higher right now, mm-hmm. but they're at least in the tier, you know, in tier five, if one of them wins the full-time job, if not tier four, you know, the, that's the level of jump that they make if one of them wins a the job. And that's something everyone should be watching in spring training. Great analysis. And I'll just mention a couple of the players that you have in your uh, later tiers. And if you want to mention any of the other uh, players, you can as well. But uh, Gene Segura with a 188 ADP, 16th round in a 12-teamer. Veteran with a, a solid floor. I think he's got uh, opportunity for 15-15 and a 275 batting average. Uh, Mauricio Dubon, uh, he's been eating clean, bro. I mean, uh, added 12 pounds of muscle, got some power and speed potential. Eventually could be eligible uh, outfield uh, shortstop and second base. And, and your guy, Jonathan Scope, 25 homer, 260 potential. I say your guy because he's re-signed with the Tigers. So those guys are a little intriguing very late. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that this is, you know, I mentioned that I'm the highest on Lux and I'm the lowest on Segura, but it's not because I don't like him. And if you read the article, you'll see why it's basically in a 10 or 12 teamer. The ceiling is too low. Right. You need a better second baseman than this to win your 12 team league. Uh, for TGFBI, my ranking on Segura is totally different. It's way up, right? Like, I, I probably consider him at the same time as I'm considering Dylan Moore in one of those. It's very, very, very much higher in a 15-teamer where that volume really plays because the replacement level is so much lower. But he is replacement level in a 12-teamer. I'd say you, you can, in a 12-teamer, you can stream a Gene Segura with, you know, with bits and pieces. So yeah. worth, worth calling that out. Um, just real quick, call out John Birdie as a guy who, uh, if you need steals, um, 116 major league games, eight home runs, not that impressive, 27 steals, right? And, and granted, it feels like 25 of those are against the Mets, but he still gets to play them, right? And there's no evidence to suggest that. I mean, McCann won't make them better at preventing stolen bases, but they're still going to give up steals. So John Birdie's a guy who could really explode if stolen bases matter to you. And uh, and yeah, again, love where Jonathan, Jonathan Scope went. Where VR went to the worst possible team, Scope really went to the best possible team because he's going to play every day. Right, uh, great analysis, and and Scott, we got through the second base position, amazing. <laughs> We're moving yeah. over to shortstop. Great analysis from you. Great article. Everyone should check out pitcherlist.com and uh, read all of Scott's uh, player rankings. And uh, let's move over to shortstop, uh, considered to be a very deep position. And you start out with the elite uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., Trey Turner, and Trevor Story. Not much you could say about Tatis, one of the top three overall players selected in any formats of, of fantasy baseball drafts. Uh, Trey Turner, ADP of nine, was healthy for a full season. <laughs> Look at what he did, uh, 335 batting average. Obviously, the, the power is increasing. Got to love his speed as well. But the one guy I would just want to focus on in this tier, and uh, some people are souring on him, uh, is Trevor Story. Now, Trevor Story... Uh, basically a 30 homer 20 uh, stolen base guy there are some uh, concerns place for the rockies and you have the home away splits uh, he has a 305 batting average career wise when playing in colorado 250 when uh, plays away and and some are worried that after they saw what happened with nolan arenado that uh, story might get traded at the deadline what are your thoughts on trevor story and are you a little bit worried about him getting traded and then uh, his production falling off a bit so the first thing I'll say is Mike Petriello from MLB.com wrote an excellent article about the Nolan Arenado trade, which talks about why the splits are so severe for the Rockies. Part of it is that Coors is just such a good place to hit. The other part is when you play in Coors, and I did talk about a little, uh, I've talked about this a little bit before, but when you play in Coors and then go to somewhere that's not Coors, you have to learn how pitches move again. They move very differently up in Colorado. It's one of the reasons it's so good to hit there. And then when you, when they go, so like they often have to go play at home, and then they have to go to like San Francisco or LA, right? And those are those have some of like the most dense air that we see. And that's a huge difference in how the ball moves, right? Like they could literally watch the same pitcher throw a curveball and just have it move two 
it's going to feel like two very different pitches because of the the altitude and the way the air density is. So some of those splits aren't their fault. And we've seen players leave Colorado and have those splits fix themselves. Like Corey Dickerson's a good example. Yeah. Uh, you know, several players have, have gone around. The splits don't stay, right? Like they don't turn into the road guy. They turn into a still very good player, right? Like the, the splits are a product of what Coors is, not who the player is. Mm-hmm. So there's no matter where he is, Trevor Story stays in this tier. I just do not see myself moving him out of it. Uh, he's there was a time when there were things to worry about with Trevor Story, especially earlier in his career. He was striking out too much. The batting average was was not good. It is good now, right? Like just just write it down. Thirty-five home runs, twenty-five stolen bases, two ninety batting average. Like are the counting stats going to be as good? No, because Colorado's not going to be very good. But he's he's going to get enough of them, right? Like it. it you know he's not going to jump Trey Turner probably because he can't he can't steal that many bases. But stories like stories also safe, right? He plays the whole season. He was actually on pace to steal like forty bases in twenty twenty, right? The Rockies are going to have to try to score runs just to like pretend like they're still a major league team. And one of the ways they're going to have to do that is by stealing bases. And Trevor Story can still do it. I think anyone that is afraid of Trevor Story um, is all they're really doing is creating value for the rest of us. Because Trevor Story is still a heck of a ball player, a heck of a fantasy option at short, and absolutely deserves to be in this elite tier. Well, then let him keep on dropping. Let his ADP keep on dropping, and you know we can grab him. Grab him later. <laughs> Next tier, and he's in a tier all by himself, is Francisco Lindor. You call him near elite. So what keeps him out of the elite tier? tier? I, I know you weren't thrilled with his landing spot, you know, City Field being more of a pitcher-friendly park. Yeah, so, and I mentioned this in the article. It's like, I, I don't have this, like, one thing where I call out, like, oh, this is the problem with Lindor. There isn't a problem. Let's be abundantly clear. There's no problem with Francisco Lindor, Right. The reason he's in this tier is because of how strong the first three are, right? Like if I'm in a draft room, I can never see myself taking Francisco Lindor before I take Trevor Story, right? I I just, I don't see how I can ever do that because as many bases as I think Lindor could steal, I think Trevor Story could steal more. As many home runs as Francisco, I think Francisco Lindor could hit, I think Trevor Story will hit more, right? Like I think Story just does everything that Lindor does, but he just does it a little more. Right now, the counting stats might be a little bit in Lindor's favor here because I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Like the Mets lineup looks good, right? Like, like previously I would have talked about, well, he's with the Mets. It's going to hurt his stats. It, like it's going to help a little bit. Um, but, you know, he is going to a, a place that it's really hard for players to hit home runs, right? Like City Field's also one of the fields that got a humidor. It, it's a it's an offense suppressing environment. I don't expect that to change his stats much, right? He's still the fourth he's number four shorts up. He's still like a second round pick just about everybody like early second round really he's a really good player i just don't see how i could ever take him over any of the top three guys and so i just kind of gave him his own little tier am i crazy or you know and i agree with what you say but on the other hand i I take a look at some of his numbers and some of his trends and they're moving in the wrong direction do we say that that's in part due to the weakening of cleveland's overall offense and the lineup that he was in because you look at his Barrel rates, they've declined for three straight seasons. His hard hit rate per fan graphs is as lowest since 2017. Been having trouble hitting breaking balls, so pitches threw him fewer fastballs. 258 batting average, the lowest of his career. I know he's got a tremendous skill set. Can we attribute all this? And I know he's only 27 years old, too. But can we attribute all this to, in part, maybe a crazy COVID-19 season? and in part because of a weak Cleveland lineup. You know, actually, I thought about, I'm glad you mentioned all those things. I thought about all those things as I was doing this ranking. And at the end of the day, I thought to myself, okay, what if all that stuff is true? Where do I move Lindor? And the answer was nowhere. He stayed right here. <laughs> like, this is, this is where I ranked the guy, right? <laughs> like, as far as shortstop goes, he's the number four shortstop. Mm-hmm. I, there's, I just don't see how you, you cut it up any other way. Right. He's he is going to a better lineup, which should help offset some of like the the fact that he was probably in a better offensive environment over in Cleveland, especially getting to play against some of the teams with weaker pitching. But the other day, he's a number four shortstop. It might change like if you believe any of those things, it can impact where you rank him overall by a couple of spots. But mm-hmm. just none of those things mattered to me when I came to like, so do I move it? Like do I do I merge him into like tier three? What do I do? And the answer was like nothing. He stays right here. Right. Uh, and and the next tier, uh, the, which you call solid. Look at these players. Tremendous players. This shows you just how deep the shortstop position is. It starts off with Xander Bogarts, 
Bo Bichette, Corey Seager, Tim Anderson, Adalberto Mondesi. So Bogarts, really not much to say about him other than he's just a tremendous offensive force. You look at his numbers uh, up until 2017, 283 batting average, slugged 409, made some changes to his approach, became uh, consciously more aggressive in an effort to tap into his power. And since 2018, his overall numbers batting 300 and a 535 slugging percentage. So, uh, and he'll steal you some bases as well. And I absolutely love uh, Bo Bichette. In my opinion, he, when all is said and done, he might even have better numbers than Vlad. But we'll see. Uh, you know, maybe I'm a little too hard on Vlad. But uh, the the one guy that uh, troubles me uh, from this tier is uh, Mondesi. Uh, what do you, you think about Mondesi? Is it worth the potential 50 stolen bases you might get for him? Uh, and then he's getting this uh, low batting average. Any concerns with Mondesi at where he's going? ADP 33 third round. Of, of course there are. Of course, of course, there's of course there's concern, right? There's there's two types of players in this world. There's the ones that really want Mondesi and the ones that really don't even rank him, right? Like they, he's that kind of player. The first thing I'll say is the top nine at shortstop is the best top nine at any position, including outfield, which is nuts, yeah. right? Like it is that this is the third tier. Like we just talked about the go go back and listen to who we talked about in the third tier for second base. Like when we say shortstop is deep, this is what we mean. At the top, it is a completely different class of player, right? When we start getting to tier five, tier six, tier seven, it's like the same as the rest of the positions, but tiers like one through three are insane, right? And one of the reasons you need to take a shortstop early is because of the gap between the number nine shortstop at Alderberto Mondesi and like the number 18 shortstop, which is Chris Taylor, is insane. Like a hundred picks at least, right? We're talking about a, a crazy drop in in what happens at shortstop. So, you know, am I concerned about it? about to see at shortstop in Roto? Not really. And the reason is because in Roto, it'll all balance out, right? He's going to have a bunch of like terrible weeks. Like go look up how bad he was before September. Cause he was atrocious. Mm. Like not, you couldn't, you couldn't roster him in a, like in a 15 team league, you could not start him. Right. He was so, so so bad. I can't like I can't tell you anything besides he was miserable, right? Like his slash line had like it's none of the numbers were higher than like 250, right? Like he was just miserable on a bad team. But we all know that for 3 weeks he can dominate the fantasy game. Mm-hmm. No one can move the needle in stolen bases like Mondesi and he can do it in 3 weeks. It just was on the PL Shorts pod. One of the things we talked about was stolen base leaders. We've been talking about prop bets, uh, our favorite prop bets, and one of you know t- our last episode, which dropped on you know which actually dropped today Sunday for you guys all. That's going to be a day before, but go listen. What I say about Mondesi is, unfortunately, he's the best bet to win most stolen bases, and that's because he can do it in 100 games. But yeah. No one else can. If you tell me Trey Turner only plays 100 games, I tell you there's no way he leads the league in steals. I just don't see it happening. Mondesi could do it. Honestly, I say 100. He could do it in 80, right? Like he he could really steal that many bases in that short of a time. He's going to explode. I don't like him as much in a head-to-head league because you don't get to carry those stats over, right? Like he wins you these weeks, but then he loses you so many weeks, and he's going to lose more weeks than he wins because he's just that kind of player. But when he's hot, my God, he is just one of the he's one of the most fun guys on when he's hot because he just never stops. It's a stolen base every day. It's mm-hmm. two hits every day. It's just nuts. So is there like I if you rank him as your ninth overall shortstop, you will never draft Alberto Mondesi because someone else has him sixth. Someone else has him fifth, right? Mm-hmm. Because they see the upside, especially in deeper leagues. His ADP in in TGFBI is gonna be nuts, right? When when you're the last thing I'll say about Mondesi is don't don't even look at his ADP, right? Don't look at Mondesi's ADP. Look at the min pick. If you want Mondesi, you need to be willing to take him around the min pick. Yeah. Because someone is going to. Mm-hmm. Someone else in your league is going to. And if you want him, that's what you got to do. Before we move on to the next tier, Tim Anderson, you think he's going to have any problems uh, with Tony LaRussa? I mean, he does like to, to flip the bat a little bit. You know, <laughs> Tony LaRussa should just be real glad he's got Tim Anderson, right? He Just one of the best leadoff guys in the game. I mean, mm-hmm. not even just from a staff perspective, because he can make so much contact. And... You know, as much as he like will swing and miss, I, I don't really care because he really does make contact. I want him putting his bat on the ball. He can steal bases. He can hit home runs. 
I love Tim Anderson. I think he's going to score 100 runs at least. But, you know, with, in terms of like the personal side of baseball, if you're watching the White Sox, they re- it feels a lot of times like they go as Tim Anderson goes. And lucky for them, Tim Anderson goes all the time. But God, he is, they, they used to have, you know, used to hear the word spark plug a lot. You don't hear it as much anymore. Tim Anderson is a spark plug. And what's fun is that the White Sox are now a team that can do something with that spark. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what Tim Anderson does. Yeah, and you look at his career, uh, 258 batting average, uh, first three seasons of his career, 2016 to 2018. Past two seasons, batting 331, adjusted his approach slightly, standing more upright in the box. Again, uh, like we mentioned with Bogarts, becoming more aggressive at the plate and you know, the 3.4% career walk rate just swings but he makes contact like you said so yeah one of the top guys uh but this next tier uh you call them back-end starters and you have a couple of guys that if they just rebound they could definitely jump into the upper tiers and and could be draft day bargains Uh, gleba torres and javier baez uh, Carlos Correa, Marcus Simeon, and uh, Dansby Swanson. And the two guys I'm talking about that really could make a big jump, in my opinion, is uh, Torres and Baez. Yeah, and really, the, the first three guys there, I think Torres, Baez, or Correa, right? Like, mm-hmm. how weird is it if we come into 2022 saying, like, yep, this guy's my, you know, he's my number seven shortstop, right? Like, the, the talent is there. It, undeniable, right? Um, I think... The one guy I want to talk about the most is Baez because I think a lot of people are still very out on Baez. And a lot of it is because for a very long time, uh, and, and nothing changed, he's got a really scary swing profile. I've written about this a few times. He does have a very scary swing profile. He's a very easy guy to write a baseball article about and call him a regression candidate because of the swing profile. He swings and he misses a lot. But the reason, one of the reasons that I have never cared that much about that, and yeah, it burned me a little bit in 2020, but I'm ready to get burned again. Javier Baez has elite hand-eye coordination. He has elite skill with the bat. I mean, he he swings so much because he know like he feels that he can hit a lot of that stuff, and he really can. Like I know 2020 was rough for him, but a big part of that I really do think is a player that's as aggressive as him really does want to watch his own at bats. Right? He wants to see what was happening. Because he wants to keep swinging, and to do that, he needs to know what's going on. So that change, not allowing players to watch their own and watch that video during the game, really impacts a guy like Baez. He was very vocal about it and how difficult that was for him. It's getting that back. The tablets are going to be there. I think that he can be a very, very good shortstop. I think the steals aren't going to be there again. And that's going to make it hard to jump that high in the ranks at this position. But that's just because the position's so stacked, Mm -hmm. right? Like, he could very well be a top 50 hitter, right? Even though that's like the number eight shortstop, right? Like he can still be a top 50 hitter. And I, I do think there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, potential profit to be had there. If, you know, especially if he tumbles down your leagues, I could see a lot of 12 team leagues where Baez tumbles because a lot of the league already has a shortstop. There's a good strategy to make about being the last person to draft a shortstop because it's still going to be like Torres, Baez, Correa, Swanson, or Semyon. That That's insane. That's insane. You can really do that. Like, there's also good reasons not to do that and to instead target like one of the first nine. Because like, like, if you have a chance to draft Tatis, you should. I think he's amazing. I, I think that there's nothing fluky about what he's doing. But like, wow, this is the fourth tier. I'm, I'm calling these guys like back end starters. That's <laughs> nuts. Yeah, I know. Uh, and Korea, just like we we spoke about, uh, Altuve had a big uh, playoff run. I mean, the problem with him has just been staying healthy, staying on the on the field, right? I mean, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. And, you know, you hate to say it, but he's got to put up. Yeah. You know what, though? I think the reason that I'm so interested in him in a 12-team league is because think about it. You could take Correa as your starting shortstop, right? And then just draft another good shortstop in case he gets hurt, right? You could just then then you just wait a little bit and take Marcus Simeon, Dansby Swanson, Didi Gregorius, who we'll talk about in a little bit. You can absolutely pair him. Or you could go even crazier, right? And, like, you took... Uh, you know, Trey Turner, Trevor Story near the top of your draft and Correa keeps slipping. Why not take him? Right. He could absolutely fill a util spot. He could absolutely explode. There's still value there. And if he doesn't pan out, he doesn't pan out. But you're, you're not paying what you used to have to pay. Right. So so I'm just I'm pumped about it because he's finally at this value place where you can invest in Carlos Correa's rebound and not be totally burned by that. Right. 
And when it comes to your draft strategy, would you recommend and not shying away from drafting, you know, more than one shortstop early? I mean, because look, if you play in a league that has a middle infield position, there's there's a lot of talent in in this group. There's insane talent, and I think you know, on one hand, I don't care about doubling up on positions if they still have a place to start early yeah. in a draft, right? First, you know, first several rounds, I don't care if I have two of them, right? Like I'll draft, I'll draft Freeman and. Cody Bellinger. I just did that in a mock. Like mm-hmm. now, the, one of the reasons I like doing that in a mock is because I see how it pans out. And you know, shortstop is you know I say this about a lot of positions, but shortstop is really one where you want to have some kind of strategy. It's actually not like it's. There's a lot of multi-position players here, but the top ranked one is at 16. It's Tommy Edmond. That's the first guy who's eligible at another position besides shortstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, the top 15 are all just shortstops. So when you, I would definitely do some mocks and sort of intentionally put yourself in a position where you take a shortstop early and see how that goes, and then take a shortstop, like be, get one of the last shortstops, see how that goes, right? Uh, draft two of them, right? You know, if if you could take Trevor Story and Lindor at the turn, I, I, I'm not going to stop you, right? Even in a Yahoo league where there's no middle of the infield, you got to have two guys in your utility, and I guarantee you, Francisco is going to be the best one by a mile, you know. So. Uh, Give those strategies a try. In fact, I actually did that once. I took Trevor Story and Francisco Lindor at the turn. And I loved it. I loved how it ended up. So it's something I'm willing to do in a draft because I've tried it now. Don't try that for the first time in the real draft. I strongly recommend against that. Yeah, I can't emphasize how important it is to get involved in mock drafts. You know, because first of all, it gives you an opportunity to familiarize yourself even more with the player pool, knowing where they're going to go. And like you just mentioned before, it gives you an opportunity to try out different strategies and see what your team looks like, whether or not. Big thing is, should I go pitcher heavy early? Should I, you know, so you try different things, see what your team looks like at the end of a draft and uh, see what works out best for you. But uh, in, in deeper leagues, uh, D.D. Gregorius, Tommy Edmond and Andres Jimenez is your next option. So uh, you mentioned Tommy Edmond played eight games at second base last season, but he's going to be uh, second base eligible this year. Second base shortstop, third base outfield eligible. Speed is real. I mean, who do you really uh, like? Is it Tommy Edmond from this group? Or uh, it's an interesting group with uh, Jimenez could steal 20 bases or so for the team from Cleveland. And, and DD's got 20 home run power. Interesting tier right here. It really is. And, you know, how bad would you feel if this was one of your starters? Right. Like, I mean, again, are these guys anywhere near as good as Bobachet, who's in the third tier? No, there's there's almost no reality where these guys finish ahead of Bobachet unless Bobachet like doesn't play. Right? Mm-hmm. That just that just doesn't happen. But man, it's deep. It's really and this is yet another tier where it's easy to like fall in love with these guys when you just look at value, right? Like, why would I take Carlos Correa where he's going, or you know Corey Seager where he's going when I can wait this long and get. Uh, you know, Didi Gregorius. Why would right. I ever do that? Well, I mean, there's a good thought process there, right? Like, Didi Gregorius going back to Philly is actually one of the best places for him to go, right? right. So, New York is the best if he can play every day, right? But that was never going to happen. So, the ne- one of the next best is actually Citizens Bank Park in Philly, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, it's a really favorable environment to left-handed hitters. I- I'm making this point for two reasons. Number one, I know you all know about park factors and I think they're very helpful, but park factors as a whole are incomplete. I really recommend you find a place that will talk about park factors for the basis on handedness, right? So it bases it on the split. A park can be overall neutral, but really favorable to a left-handed hitter, for example, right? Like Yankee stadium is a good place to hit, right? Mm -hmm. But man, is it really, really good for left-handed hitters, right? <laughs> like, and, and guys with good hit tools, I mean, we've seen DJ LeMahieu do this, right? Like, when DJ LeMahieu went from Colorado to New York, it actually became easier for him to hit home runs, even though Colorado's a great place to hit, because there's a short porch in, in right that, that LeMahieu can push the ball to, right? Gregorius goes to Philly. Again, there's 25 to 27 home run upside here with a, with a pretty decent batting average, and if he hits that upside... He looks like a solid back-end starter, right? Like, this is weird to have a guy that's this good be a back-end starter, but that speaks a lot to the depth of the position. I like him the most because I feel like he's the easiest for me to project. It's weird because Tommy Edmonds been around for a while, but yeah. he's only got 147 major league games, right? Now they're good, right? They're good. 88 runs, 16 home runs, 17 steals, 283 batting average, right? Um, but it's not balanced production. A lot of that is actually really front-heavy, 
right? So I think you could talk yourself into Edmund being like a 2020 guy, um, but he could also very well be like a 15 home run, like eight stolen base guy. And in a 12 team league, one of those is a, is sort of like above the line. The other one's below the line. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to land. I, I think Tommy Edmonds, a fine player, like in that util spot, the, the flexibility is cool and all that stuff. I don't want him as like a starting second baseman or shortstop, but I could talk myself into that with Gregorius. Uh, and then, you know, him and as that's a stolen base guy. You're yeah. not really going after much else. Right. I, I know that, that your rankings are geared more towards uh, 12 teamers, but 12 teamers, 15 teamers, are you looking to stash anybody like a, a Wanda Franco, you know, uh, top prospect for the Rays? And you wonder, you know, if his debut is going to be delayed, you know, to get a, a better opportunity for them to manage his service time after what happened with the Mariners. I don't know. I guess teams need to be a little bit more careful with that. But uh, in terms of stashing, what's your strategy when it comes to that? So I think Wander Franco is really hard to stash in like a Yahoo league because your bench spots in those leagues are generally reserved for pitchers that you're streaming, right? The deeper your bench is, the more I want to stash Wander Franco. Obviously, you know, insane upside, number one prospect in baseball. There's even if he's not your number one, he's your number two, right? He's he's just there's very few players that you know. At the end of the season, is it that weird if like Wander Franco plays for two or three months and next season he's in tier two? Hey, is it is that that weird to imagine? Like no, because like no, that's what no. happened to Bichette, right? Like Bichette's in tier three, but like that's what happened. Wander Franco absolutely. Like, Wander Franco was ranked higher than Bichette ever was. So there's definitely more potential here. I'm interested in stashing him in in deeper leagues where I can hold him, but I need enough bench spots, right? And I need the right build, right? I can't draft him expecting him to start anytime soon. But, you know, as I look at this, this tier as a whole, we're starting to get to the point where these are sort of stashes anyway. And again, a 12 team league, it's, it's harder, right? Because those bench spots, you often just like, you need those guys. On the other hand, Got the extra bench spot. You think you can make it? Go ahead, right? Like you, you don't need to stream as many pitchers. I like that strategy at the end of a draft because there's going to be a lot of people in your league who can't make that choice, who really can't take a Wander Franco without hamstringing their their team. So if you if you want him again, mock it. Get, find out how you get yourself in a position to take Wander Franco and still have a team you end up liking. Mm-hmm. And as we finish up the shortstop position. From these late couple of tiers, give me one or two guys that really interest you here. I mean, I, I look at Paul DeYoung uh, from the Cardinals. I'm intrigued by the 30 home runs. Uh, not thrilled with the 240 batting average. But is, is there one or two guys as we finish off the shortstop position that uh, from these couple of tiers here that interest you? Look, if Paul DeYoung is out there, his family, his friends, his loved ones are out there, I don't hate him. I wish him. I really do. I, I think that he's a, a fine athlete, uh, an upstanding citizen. I think he is totally unviable in a 12 team fantasy league. Mm-hmm. And that's because, uh, yeah, so you look at those home run numbers and they look good. Like, he has been really not good since, uh, since really April of 2019. It's been really, really rough since like May 1st, 2019. In fact, in his last 162 games, he has 26 home runs. But a 214 batting average, a 292 OBP, and a 387 slug. Like, think about that. 26 home runs and a 387 slug. Have you ever heard of that? Like, can you even fathom how that works? Right? Like, that, that almost breaks the calculator. Like, how do you do that? Apart from hitting home runs and not doing anything else, right? Making a lot of weak contact. That's how that happens. So, really not that interested in, in a lot of formats personally, although I understand the power upside. Uh, I'd probably rather reach for a guy like Willie Castro who uh, he's got a weird profile, but if you sort of look into it, he's kind of like Luis Arias if Luis Arias was selling out for power more often, right? Because okay. he has an extreme, con- like he makes a lot of contact, right? He he doesn't, you know, he does whiff a little more, right? But he, he's he got this weird thing where he's got this really high expected batting average, really high expected slugging, and really low exit velocity. It, it's a weird thing. I write it up in the article. Check it out if you want to, see why I make this comparison between him and Arias. Um, it's out there, but you know, interesting. I like it. Um, in a deeper league, a guy I'm kind of interested in is, uh, you know, it's actually, it's actually JP Crawford. 
right? So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, don't, I don't paint a very rosy picture of him in the honorable mentions. In fact, I wrote one sentence. I said, there will probably be a three-week period or so where he looks like the top option on your waiver wire, but the former first-rounder just can't hit enough to be viable in all but the deepest of formats. Now, if you're in the deepest of formats, J.P. Crawford could very well lead off for these Mariners at some point, right? He, he's got that kind of skill set. They'd be willing to put him there. And if he does, he's interesting, right? Maybe not so much in like a Yahoo 12-teamer, but... There could be something there. I'd be keeping my eye on him. And then I should also mention Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, where as a shortstop, he is not rosterable. In fact, he's not rosterable at any position, but any league that carried over eligibility from 2020, that includes Yahoo, uh, and I think even ESPN, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is a catcher, right? And he will actually probably be drafted before a lot, you know, before quite a few of these like guys in the last two tiers, right? Because... Because that's, I mean, he's probably going to be drafted before anyone takes like a Willie Castro or an Ahmed Rosario at catcher, right? Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. only mentioning him so that everyone realizes that while he has this other positional eligibility, it's a mirage. It doesn't matter. You're never using him at those positions. He is a catcher. Yeah. He's a very fine one because I think he's going to play every day. We'll talk about more when we talk about catchers. But like, don't fool yourself into thinking that this uh, positional eligibility is useful. It's not. He's a catcher. And if you think that the second base position is shallow, wait till we talk about catchers like you mentioned. So, uh, Scott, you did a great job with your analysis today. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. We think about the players that we've talked about, covered the second base position, the shortstop position. want to thank everyone for listening. want to just invite you to follow us on uh, Twitter at Hacks and Jacks PL. You could follow me at Joe Galina. Follow Scott at If the Chew Fits, and uh, please go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to our podcast, and give us a a top rating, please. (laughs) Uh, It's been a a lot of fun, Scott. I I hope uh, for all of our listeners that uh, all of your fantasies become realities. Until next week, I'm Joe Galina. And I'm I'm Scott Chew. Again, thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all, for listening. And, hey, if you want to check out these rankings, go for it. As much as we talked about these players, there's even more. There's even more juice to squeeze out of this orange. So check out those rankings. Check, you know, keep following along on this podcast. You can also check out my other podcast on our network. That's PL Shorts, where we talk a little bit about DFS and betting. And, you know, it's a nice 10, 15 minutes of your day. That's as long as those pods are. So if you got to go to the grocery store, it's something to listen to. And, you know, we hope we'll check you all next week. <laughs>